0: One, two,
1: three, four. You know, the tech industry does have um, a lot of men and a lot of. Strong voices in the industry, men or women. And I kind of really had to find my foothold. I am not, you know, the loudest voice in the room. That's not me. That's just not the person I am. So, knowing who I am and accepting who I am and not trying to be someone I'm not, how do I show up? How do I walk into a meeting or a boardroom and confidently pitch what I'm trying to say or disagree with something that's being discussed in the room without doubting myself and questioning myself? Just, you know, not letting yourself get drowned out by the loud, powerful voices in the room.
0: Hello, and welcome back to the Well Now What podcast. I'm your host, Spana. So as we're all spending more time at home, you're probably watching more YouTube, meaning you're seeing a lot of ads. Have you ever wondered who creates those ads? Well today's guest actually leads the team that designs those YouTube ads. Raina Merchant is a UX leader at Google and YouTube. In this episode, you'll find out how she learned to understand where she sat as a young woman of color in the boardrooms where undertones of power and influence often reside. And let's be honest, it doesn't get much more powerful than the Silicon Valley offices of YouTube and Google. I hope you enjoy this episode. I'm here with Rena Merchant. I actually found her story through the Flick portal founded by Michelle Kwok, whom I interviewed a few episodes ago. I'm really glad to have connected with Rena because her story proves that her success has purely been the product of hard work, empathy, and resiliency as a woman of color within a very male tech industry. So, Rena, could you share your story? Absolutely. Thank you so much
1: for having me, Savannah. I'm also very glad that we connected. Let's see, what's my story? I am a UX manager at Google right now. So, what I do there is I manage a design team and we together design the ads experience on YouTube, which is really exciting. And I started actually, my journey started in Canada. I live in San Francisco right now, but I started in Canada and started in computer science, actually, and then slowly things evolved to, to UX design.
0: Right. Yeah. So how did you get started into tech? Like, What did you study in university?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So I studied computer science. And it's really interesting because when I was in high school and I was graduating, getting ready for university, I, I was a little bit torn. I didn't really know what direction to go in. There was a part of me that really did enjoy computer science. And I loved the problem solving, the logical aspect of it, but I'd always had an interest in the art and design. So my ideal university major would have been something that integrated the two. But at the time, user experience design wasn't really a well-established discipline or field. So there wasn't something that you could study in university that was called user experience. So I didn't know what to do. I ended up going into computer science and that's what I majored in. And my first job after I graduated was a Java developer job. So I was programming.
0: Okay. Yeah. And then I also read that you worked at Blackberry. So how did you land a job at such a Mm -hmm. well-established company?
1: Yeah, I was really fortunate. I'm really grateful for that. I, after I graduated and I was, I started as a Java developer, I worked at a consulting firm called CGI up in Canada. They do uh, management and software consulting. And so I did development there. And I think I've just had some really supportive managers along the way. So I'm really glad my manager at CGI, he knew that I had an interest in design. And so he was really supportive of me taking design training and courses on the side. So that was really great for me. And then I was also able to meet some really wonderful, uh, people at BlackBerry. I did interviews. I met with the team there. And I'm really, really, I feel fortunate. It worked out that I uh, was able to start in an entry-level visual design role. So that's where I kind of made the switch from development to design. And my role at BlackBerry was my first design job.
0: So for people that don't know, what do you do in your role at Google as a UX um, leader, manager? What's your kind of like day-to-day?
1: Yeah. So what I do is... Overall, as a team, what we do as a a design team is all the ads that you see on YouTube. So when when we're watching YouTube, whether it's on your phone or on your computer or on your TV, um, as we know, when we watch the free version of YouTube, we see ads. And my team's job is to try and design a great experience around those ads. And so uh, there are eight designers on my team and we all work together um, along with researchers and other people in the UX field. And we try to do research. We try to design good product experiences. So my day-to-day involves doing that work with the team. So it's everything from figuring out the strategy with our partners. What do we want to do? How are we going to do it? Applying design tools and methods, design thinking, all of that to really craft a good YouTube ads experience.
0: Yeah. Amazing. So when you first got started at Google, was this your first position with Google? Were you just um, a manager right from the beginning or did you have to work your way up?
1: Yeah. I. So I did start in a management role uh, immediately upon joining at Google. I think that my prior experience as a manager helped me. So I was able to start in a management role. I've been
0: there now for two and a half years, I would say. Okay. Yeah. And what's been the most, I guess, challenging aspect of being a woman in a leadership position, as I mentioned, in a very male dominated industry? One thing I have personally struggled with, and
1: this this happens for a lot of women, but also a lot of men. And I would say not all women, but definitely for me, is finding my voice in that industry. So, you know, the tech industry does have um, a lot of men and a lot of strong voices in the industry, men or women. And I kind of really had to find my foothold. I am not, you know, the loudest voice in the room. That's not me. That's just not the person I am. So knowing who I am and accepting who I am and not trying to be someone I'm not, how do I show up? How do I walk into a meeting or a boardroom and confidently pitch what I'm trying to say or disagree with something that's being discussed in the room without doubting myself and questioning myself? Just, you know, not letting yourself get drowned out by the loud, powerful voices in the room. Yeah. So how do you step up and kind of like prove your worth? You know, it's funny that you asked that. It's, you know, I tried to do that for so long where it was, I placed my focus on exactly that, trying to prove my worth. And I struggled so much with it because I would just try to see what other people maybe wanted me to be. And I would try to guess, and then I would try to be that. So, for example, I would say, okay, I think in this meeting, I just, I have to be. I have to be loud, I have to be vocal. I've got to come in with tons of ideas. I got to disagree with people if I if I feel like it. And that's what people want me to be. And that's how I prove myself. So that's what I need to do. And then I would try to push myself to be that and to deliver that thing that I thought other people needed. And I struggled so much with that because I think what I was ultimately trying to do in some cases was I was trying to just push myself to be someone I was not comfortable being. And it took me so many years of, I think, hitting on walls and I realized, okay, maybe I need to change the story in my mind. So maybe it's not about, you know, I'm trying to figure out how to prove myself to other people. Maybe it's first me looking inside and figuring out who am I? And, you know, I know I'm competent. I know I'm capable. First of all, it was I need to just not doubt that because that's like step number one. But also, you know, if I know I'm confident and capable, how would I feel most comfortable showing up? And what if I focused on that as opposed to what other people want from me? And I think that really helped me because then it took the pressure off. It was like, it wasn't so much about proving myself to other people, even though ultimately that's what I was doing and that's what happened. But it was more putting the focus on me and being me being comfortable with myself first. And I I think I found that really supportive
0: for people that are a little bit more like shy and introverted. Do you have any advice for, um, I guess, networking, um, with other people and showing up at different conferences where you have to kind of get outside your comfort zone?
1: Yeah. So I, I still struggle with that. I'm very much an introvert. I like social, things. But, you know, going out to a large networking event and that pressure, uh, I definitely feel it. So I I completely emphasize, feel like you have to go out and make all these connections and talk to people and walk out with a bunch of, I was going to say business cards, but (laughs) I don't think people use business cards anymore. It's more LinkedIn connections. But yeah, I would say for me, what I try to do is just not make that the big goal. When I walk into a networking event, I think if I, again, walk in with that goal of, okay, I'm here to make some connections, gotta do it, gotta do it. It just puts so much pressure on me that I then, I start to overanalyze and overthink, okay, who am I gonna talk to? What kind of connections do I need to make? How am I gonna, I get into the weeds of it in my head. I think, how am I gonna talk to them? Am I gonna ask them for their card? Am I gonna, what am I? so it's, I think for me, it's just making that less the goal. And I try to tell myself, you know what? I'm just here to learn, A, and B, I'm here to just, meet like-minded people. And I know that I will just, I will bump into the right people. I don't need to stress about it. And I just try to take the pressure off myself. And then it happens, you know, you walk into an event, there's always someone that you're going to bump into. There's always someone who's going to come up to you, or you can just naturally walk into them and say, Hey, how's it going? Um, introduce yourself. So I think for me, it's, again, that mental shift that really helps me to just take the pressure off.
0: And have you ever had any moments of maybe self-doubt in your position? Are you, have you realized like, oh, this is not something that I actually want to do? Or is this this kind of role within tech? Is this something that you want to pursue um, within the next like five to 10 years?
1: Yeah, I would say absolutely so. I think it's funny looking back if if we were doing this, let's say 10 years ago, and you asked me the same question. I. I think I knew I pieces were coming together in my life, but I hadn't quite figured out or I didn't have the foresight to know how they would fit together. So I knew I was in tech. Great. I loved it. And then I kind of found a way to integrate design in tech when I made that shift into user experience. Great. I didn't know where that would take me. I'm really happy with where it's brought me and I'm really grateful. And I think that first I used to think, am I just lucky that I ended up in this place where, you know, I'm just happy and I love what I do. And I think, yes, probably I'm grateful for that, but it's so funny, right? Like life always works out in the long run. So sometimes in the short run, we don't see what's going on, but big picture, long-term looking back, it always works out. And so I, I love where life has brought me. I'm really grateful to it. I enjoy it. I totally see myself doing this for the next five years, 10 years. I think that I'm constantly like to learn and grow and evolve and I love that I'm still able to do that both in my job uh, but even outside of my job I've just you know recently really opened up more to I want to give back to the community on a human level and so I definitely want to keep doing what I'm doing in tech but bring that human element and that aspect of um, giving back to the community even more so. Uh, probably
0: in the next few years. Yeah. Cause I saw that you started, um, is it, I am your voice. Is that what it's called? Yeah. It's called our voice. Yeah. Or our voice. Yeah. Do you yeah. mind? I'm um, yeah. talking
1: more about that. Yes, absolutely. So it's and it's a community organization that I launched last year. It's funny because I would actually been kind of the idea had been growing in my mind for almost 10 plus years before that, but I just didn't know what to do. So I think it's again, tied to my own journey that I've had with regards to authenticity my whole life. Right. I, as I mentioned earlier, I really struggled with finding my own voice and just being comfortable with who I am, figuring out who I am and being confident and then just being comfortable showing up as myself and having a voice and for so many years i thought you know i don't know one day i hope i figure this out <laughs> i hope i figure out how to do this but when i do one day i want to help other people because i the more i talk to people i would realize you know everybody's kind of on this journey to some extent and so i had always wanted to do something and finally last year I was able to launch this organization. I will say I I don't have it all figured out yet, but I realized I never will. And now is a time um, that's as good as any to launch this. And so what this organization is intended to do is to create a forum to provide people with resources, events, friendships, a community um, to help support others to build up their self-confidence, to help others kind of find themselves and be
0: comfortable being themselves. Yeah, that's awesome. And have you dealt with failure personally, like as a leader? And if you have, how did you learn from it? And how did you deal with it?
1: Yes, that's a great question. I have, I have dealt with failure so many times, Um, both, you know, I would say professionally and personally, there's been so much in my life that, you know, I'd planned for it to go a certain way, or I had high hopes for, for things to go a certain way. And then it just didn't. So for example, I can give you a couple of examples. One really good professional example was, um, I was laid off, uh, from BlackBerry actually. So really early in my design career, I was still building my self-confidence and, you know, the company at the time was going through a phase where they weren't doing as well. And, um, there were layoffs in the company and I was affected by that. And that was a huge hit for me, professionally, it felt like a failure. Even though the layoffs were company-wide, it's hard not to let it affect you on a personal level. So that's a huge professional failure. Um, Personally, too, I, I went through a divorce. So I was married, and five years ago, that marriage ended. And to me, again that felt like very much a failure right because we have these expectations that either other people put on us society puts on us life's supposed to go a certain way your career's supposed to go a certain way i put so many expectations on myself i can be very hard on myself sometimes so very, very much need to control my life, need to have it planned. And then perfection is when your plan goes exactly the way you want it to. And of course, that's not how life works. And so when in my life that didn't happen and things didn't go as planned, it really was a huge hit. I think that the way I handled it at the time, I... I will admit, I didn't know how to handle it. I kind of felt like I was just, my world was turned upside down and I didn't really know what to do because I had a plan and it didn't work. And so now what? And I think coming out of that, it was really just baby steps. I would take it day by day and figure out, okay, so first need to accept failure happened. Um, My plan didn't go exactly the way I wanted. Secondly, I need to redefine it. Maybe this isn't failure. Maybe this is just life. It's not life if everything goes according to plan it's life when things don't go according to plan too that's all part of life that's all good so there was a little bit of having to redefine the good versus the bad taking the negative connotation out of failure and then saying okay great i'm gonna what's what's the good in this like what did i learn from this quote unquote failure and maybe this was supposed to teach me something that's actually going to help elevate my future. And it's really hard to see that. I think when I was in it, in the thick of it, when you've just been laid off, it's really hard to tell yourself, I'm sure there's some good in this, like what's the lesson? But I think that's what, it took me time, but that's what I tried to do. And I think now looking back, I've built a little bit more resilience. So failures still happen. I don't think... I'm still human. So I still, again, you just get knocked down. But I think I'm a little bit more resilient and just being able to get up. So I think it's just practice. Mm-hmm. Failure happens. Yeah.
0: No, it does in every aspect of life. And we you just can't control it. Like <laughs> what we're going through right now, it's just a yeah. time of uncertainty that you can't control anything in your life, whether that's like a job or in your personal life. I think it's just being okay with the unknown and accepting your failures and accepting that all the experiences that you're having, like even though they might not be good, they're still experiences that you're going to learn from, right? Yes, absolutely. And what's been your favorite project so far to manage at um, Google?
1: That's a great question. Let me see. There's so many. How do I pick just one? I would say, you know, I can't pick one, but I will say what I love about all the projects on my job. Um, What I love most about working on the YouTube ads experience is that it's such an impactful space. Working on ads is obviously really huge from a, uh, it's a, it's huge from a business and a user standpoint. So for example, ads are really important for the business. They bring in revenue, it's really, it's very, very impactful for Google and for YouTube. Also, advertisers, if we think about our users, advertisers rely on ads to drive their business. And so the work that we're doing by creating an ads experience on YouTube is really important for those users. And additionally, ads are important. You know, on YouTube, we also have creators, right? So we have content creators who create all the awesome video content that we watch. Ads are important for creators, too, because creators can monetize their content and um, also generate revenue for themselves because of ads. And there's also this huge area of impact and opportunity for the viewer. So as YouTube viewers, we see these ads on YouTube and, you know, we want to have a good ads experience. Not all ads experiences in the world are helpful, are useful, and there's so much room and so much opportunity to really innovate in the space and try to make things Good for the user, and so I would say we just we work on so many projects. There's just tons in in any given quarter. We're working on like forty different small things, maybe fifty different things, but um, they all tie up into this larger goal and larger mission. And I just love
0: that. It's so exciting for me. Wow! Yeah, it's a lot of projects. Do you find it difficult because I guess finding the target audience for those ads, because so many different people, different kinds of people watch these YouTube videos. So how do you know like who to cater to and what the audience likes?
1: Yeah, so abs- you're, you're so right. It's absolutely true. We have so many different viewers. You know, we have, I think it's 2 billion plus viewers on YouTube worldwide. That number may have changed. This may not be the latest, but it's a huge, huge number. Everybody has different needs, different desires, different interests, so it's definitely a really interesting and exciting problem to to really get to know and understand our users. We do a lot of research, and I am so grateful for the the researchers, the people who dig into data uh, on our team, and we try to, through our research, really deeply understand our users. So by talking to them, by reaching out to them, really understanding who they are, what their needs are, what their goals are. And that's what helps us understand and try to create a product, an experience that aligns with that and, and
0: tries to give users what would really be useful for them. Yeah. And do you think the industry of just like YouTube and watching these videos is going to continue in the next... Um, decade or so, where do you see this industry kind of shifting? It's a good
1: question. I think that I think that entertainment as an industry will continue to grow. I think we're seeing it in, in the immediate term. We're seeing it now. and, you know, just considering everything we're going through, we we rely on, entertainment to bring us joy. We rely on it to bring us kind of release or escape from sometimes reality and sometimes it's educational. Sometimes it helps us connect with others and there's so many aspects to it. So I think that kind of more immediate term, but also looking into the future, I do see it being a big part of life, a big part of society. I do see it growing. It may evolve, you know, there's so many trends and so many human behaviors and social needs that kind of evolve with time, especially, you know, what we're going through right now, it's, it's hard to tell how some of these behaviors might shift looking into the future. But I think that I'm really hoping to stay abreast of that and see how things are shape-
0: shifting. But I do see it growing long term. Yeah, because when you think of when cable TV was more popular, that's where all the commercials and ads were, and YouTube yeah. wasn't as big. And then now it's shifting. Everyone's watching YouTube, so there's more and more ads that are being created. Yeah, So it'll definitely be interesting to see. That'll definitely continue, I'm sure, because of social media, but to mm-hmm. see where that leads to. Absolutely. As you're managing a team of eight, you said. Um, how do you deal with, I guess, like different personalities from maybe creative ones to more analytical ones? So how do you manage that? It's true. I think
1: just as I've managed different teams, I've kind of seen and learned that over the years that everybody's different. Everyone has a different personality. I think for me, it's so much about first and foremost, getting to know each person on the team really deeply. So when I first joined Google or when I have joined other companies in the past, just taking time to to get to know and build that relationship with each and every person on the team. And that it takes time to build that understanding and trust with each other. And I think it's as much about me getting to know the team and understanding them as it is about them getting to know me and understanding me and then us together kind of figuring out our dynamic, our relationship. But once I do get to know the team a little bit better. I think I see it as my role as a manager to help both from a career growth standpoint. I think depending on people's personalities, their interests, their short, long-term career goals may differ. And so I think for me, it's trying to uniquely understand what each person's career goals are. And I think it's my job as a manager to then help propel that person, support that person as they
0: move forward towards their individual unique goals. Yeah, awesome. And going back to a woman in tech, so mm-hmm. what do you believe that young women need to know, hear, see to consider technology as a career option? I think a few
1: things. I think one thing that I would love for young women to be able to see, and I think it's, it's on the responsibility lies with those of us in the industry is that they can be successful, they can be comfortable. You know, it, it doesn't have to be a, a, a an industry that's dominated by by men where, you know, sometimes there is that. I Admittedly, I felt that too, that hesitation of should I go into tech? Should I work in tech? Because will I fit in? Will I have opportunities to succeed? And I think that it's the responsibility of those of us who are in tech to make sure that we create those opportunities and we create an environment that is balanced and that is encouraging and supportive and fair to all. And so um, I would love for young women to be able to actually see that change and that shift in the industry so that they can feel confident coming into it. And I think that shift is happening. I think we have a long way to go in many ways, but I would love for that to happen.
0: Yeah. And have you found that it's changed over the years that you've been in tech, especially that you're in the Silicon Valley, so you're kind of in the heart of the tech industry? Have you noticed that it's changed? Has it improved for women?
1: I think so. I know everyone
0: has um, different personal experiences. In
1: my personal experience, things have shifted. When I started in tech almost 15 years ago, and and this was in, in Canada, in Toronto at the time, you know, even if I go back to when I was in my computer science program in undergrad, there were, I don't, I don't even know, a couple of hundred students in our program. And I think there were only eight to 10 females and, you know, that's it. The rest were all men. And I think starting there and kind of entering into the industry at that time, when that was kind of the the balance of things, it's come a long way now. I think more recently I've worked on teams where we have more female leaders uh, than men or more female designers um, than men or kind of an equal balance or not just even gender diversity, but diversity in all ways. I've seen more and more of that. Uh, Personally, I have faced less and less challenges in that regard. So I do feel that there's a shift. I just think that, that we do have
0: a ways to go. And just a kind of last question to wrap things up for anyone out there that is interested in going into tech, do you have any advice for what kind of resources they could be looking at just because everything is kind of on lockdown right now? So, yeah, do you have any resources that someone should look into or post-secondary education that you recommend?
1: You know, I would say uh, post-secondary education, I
0: will share
1: what, what I've done and and I highly recommend this for anyone who has similar interests. So I went to um, California College of the Arts and they have an MBA in design strategy program, which business skills and design skills, design thinking, innovation skills. And um, the reason I recommend that program or programs like that is they have very flexible schedules and, you know, you can, you can do classes once a month or, you know, and I think a lot lot of educational institutions right now are also looking at doing online remote training so I think that could help especially in this type of environment but I think post-secondary education I love kind of multi-faceted multi programs that's just a personal choice um, there are lots of great programs that kind of bring together tech design thinking innovation business and I love I think when you start to grow in your career and you start to look at the intersection of all these things, I think that really helps in tech because then you kind of understand the tech side, you understand the business side, all of that. So that's my recommendation with post-secondary education. And I would say otherwise, more generally, there are tons of books, of course, but I think one thing that's really great, especially now when it's hard to make that human connection, I have seen just on social media and things like that a lot of people kind of opening up and offering up their time their resources doing kind of career coaching sessions online on using zoom or you know google hangouts or whatever so i would say if there's a way that you can still reach out and still make that human connection still network i have found learning from other people is always such a great resource for me and then i'll pick someone's brain i'll learn something and then i'll go off and do some more reading on my own and then kind of every time I talk to someone, I learn I learn something new. So I would say if there's a way to still do, do that in
0: this environment, that could be helpful. Great. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story and such amazing um, advice and recommendations. Um, I really appreciate it. And I'm sure everyone out there that are listening are really going to appreciate what you've brought today.
1: Thank you so much, Savannah. It was so wonderful to have this conversation with you. Thank you for having me on. And I am excited to keep the conversation going
0: and that was Rena Merchant. Feel free to connect with her on LinkedIn at Rena Merchant or follow her online community I am our voice, where you can find resources to support you in strengthening your self-esteem and authentic presence. Thanks for listening and tune in for next week's episode.